get a phone call and it's a local number and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe it's a church member whose number I don't have saved, so I'll answer it. On the other end, I hear, hello, is this Paul? I reply, this is Aaron. Um, is this Paul? This is Aaron. Is this Paul Householder? This is Aaron Householder. May I ask who you are and who you're calling? And they, of course, tell you. You know, they're selling something, and I'm going, oh, why did I answer this? And then, of course, they still want to know why they're talking to Aaron when they want to talk to Paul. And I tell them, you know, if you knew me, you would know that my name is Paul Aaron. That's the way my mama and daddy named me. Don't do that to your children. Call them by the first name. If you did, well, that's your decision. But my opinion is don't do that to your kids. Because my whole life, people have been calling Paul, and I'm going, who's Paul? Oh, wait, that's me. So that's one sort of phone call that you get, and you're kind of like, ah, why did I answer that? But imagine the other phone call. You just pulled into your garage, things are going well, and you get a phone call, and you see, oh, it's my daughter. She doesn't very often call me. You pick it up, and you hear, Daddy, I was just in a wreck. Lola won't drive. Lola's the name of her car, by the way. We name our cars in our family. My car is Theodore. Melanie's car is Ruby. Seth's car is Eloise. They all have names. But when your daughter calls you and says she was in a wreck, it's a totally different phone call, isn't it? So the first thing I said was, sweetie, are you okay? I think so. Where are you? We're at Pine Lake in 27th. I'll be there in 10 minutes, maybe faster. Of course, Melanie's in the car with me, and she says, don't you get a wreck on the way to go get Mary Elizabeth. I didn't get a wreck. Mary's car was totaled. Mary's okay. Her friend is okay. My point is to illustrate the difference in relationships. The person who didn't know what to call me because they're just looking at a call list, they're doing their job, it's okay, I'm not going to fault them for that, versus my daughter. When my daughter calls, not only did I have her saved in my phone, but even if I didn't, if it had been that local number I didn't know and I heard her voice, it's a different conversation, isn't it? Because she belongs to me. You know, God made us for relationships. God himself is in relationship. It says in Genesis 1, or God says, let us make man in our image. God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man, mankind, humanity, woman, and man, in our Father, Son, Holy Spirit image. God is in relationship, and He calls us to relationship, and He calls us as believers in Jesus to be in relationship with others. God created us for relationships. So some of us are more quiet than others. God created us for relationship. Then some of us prefer fewer friends than others. God created us for relationships. So some of us like a little more alone time than others. God created us for relationships. Though some of us are more naturally introverted than others. God created us for relationships. I think during COVID, we saw that more than anything. As we did that whole lockdown thing last March through June, and it, like everybody was afraid to go everywhere because we saw the pictures from New York and Italy, and a lot wasn't known about COVID, and all we knew was we wanted to keep ourselves and those we love safe. 
And even now, we wear masks or distance or follow other rules depending on where you're at and how you feel about those things because of where we're at. Our church family, when we took our natural church development survey the, uh, last month, our results on everything were way down, and I'll show you some of those next week as part of my sermon. And initially, the ministry staff, as we looked at it, David and Myra and Pastor Nathan and I, we went, whoa, and we were kind of depressed about that. But then we went, wait, everything came down. It wasn't just one or two scores, everything came down. And Nathan, who works at the university full-time, said, it's negative transference. Every time anybody has an opportunity to take a survey now, it scores less than it would have two years ago at this time. So we went, but we've got some work to do here. Because our lowest scores were in loving relationships and holistic small groups. And we realized because we weren't able to be in groups together as a church family, we, everybody hadn't come back to Sunday school, everybody felt distant from one another, that even now that we can do some things like we want to, people don't feel the way they did. And we said, we've got to do something about this. So how do we put the two together? And that's where you get this idea of life together. Today, we're going to talk about life together with God. Tomorrow or next Sunday, we'll talk about life together with one another, and then um, Two weeks from now, on uh, the 31st, we will talk about life together for others. And we want to consider the reality of where we're at as a congregation in the midst of Lincoln, Nebraska, in the midst of our world with all the turmoil. We want to consider a vision for where we're going. What has God called us to? The sort of things we see on our wall out there that are our next steps, the values we live, and the vision to be a church that grows Christ's followers but also consider ideas and strategies of how to get there. You won't hear too many of those today. We'll hear more of those next week and the week after. But one other thing that's coming on Sunday morning, the 31st, for those of you that are here, those of you that are online, and we'll be sure and mention it again, is we'll introduce to you our sanctuary remodel design. We've got those in. We had a uh, group of folks, the seven folks on the church council and five other folks made a sanctuary ad hoc planning team. And so now after all these years of dreaming and saving, we've got a design we're very excited to present to you. So that'll be two weeks from today and I'll show you pictures. We'll talk about it. It's not going to be a business meeting. There's not going to be any discussion. I just want to introduce it to you as a church family and show that to you because that's part of who we are and part of where we're going is remodeling this sanctuary for the next 30 years of worship here. Why 30 years? Because this one lasted 30 years. we got to make it for the next 30. So we have exciting things ahead of us. But before we go any further today, I want to draw your attention to our Scripture memory verse of the month because it reminds us about life together. Let's say it together. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let's pray together. God, our Father, here we are in this place we call a sanctuary. Apart from the world and all the cares that we have, And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you help us to focus on you and your word as we consider what to many will be a familiar story that demonstrates your love, that we would think about how 
precious your love is to us. And as we've sung these songs of revival this morning that have called us into a fresh relationship with you, may we consider as your Holy Spirit shows us anything in our life that we need to confess to you, that we need to repent and turn from, and that we need to come back to a right relationship with you as you have called us to. So God, here we are, your people, in this place that we call yours, gathered together to hear your words. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus told a story that could be a long, long time ago type story. He said there was a certain man that had two sons. And in that culture, the way things went is about what you're supposed to hear. And the younger son said to his father, Father, I want my inheritance now. That culture normally, if there's two sons and there's an inheritance, the older one gets two-thirds when the father passes, the younger gets one-third. But the father says, I want my inheritance, or the son says, I want my inheritance now. And it says, to the shock of all those listening to Jesus and even you and me today, the father gave him one-third of all that he had. Can you imagine giving away one-third of all your assets just like that? That younger son, a few days later, gathered up all he had and all that money he had just inherited before it was due and went to a foreign country. The Bible doesn't give us details as Jesus tells the story, and I think that's because we don't need to let our minds go, but it says he spent his money in wild living. In wild living, he spent his money, and soon thereafter he ran out of money, there became a famine in that land, so much so that he was starving, and he hired himself out to one of the people of that land, and here's a Jewish boy who sees pigs as unclean, taking a job now, feeding the pigs of a man of that other nation. The famine became so severe that that young Jewish man longed to feed himself with the food, the slop that the pigs were eating. And as he's hungry and in that situation, the light comes on. He has one of those aha moments. You've had them too, right? Maybe you weren't in a pigsty thinking about eating slop But when you're at the bottom, or when you're at your wit's end, then the light comes on. And he says to himself, what am I doing here? How many more of my father has more food than this? And my father's hired servants eat better than this, and they have plenty left over. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to tell him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so, he gathers himself and takes the journey back home. When he was still a long way off, the father saw him, and he ran to him, and he threw his arms around him. He was full of loving compassion, and the son rehearsed his lines, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Make me like one of your hired men. Yeah, that's all the things I was supposed to say to him, right? But the father says, no. He calls the servants to him. He says, quick, 
Bring a robe, the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, symbolic that he belongs and he has authority. Put sandals on his feet. He's not like a servant that he's provided for. He's clothed. Go get that fatted calf we've been saving for a special occasion. Bring it. Kill it. Let's have a party. My son who is dead is alive. My son who is lost is found. Let's celebrate. As the party's going on, the older son had been out in the field, approaches the house, and he hears some music. Why is there a party going on? Nobody told me. I wasn't invited. And so as he gets closer, he says to one of the servants, hey, what, what, what's, what's going on? Where's the party for? The servant says, your brother, he's come back. Older son crosses his arms and thinks, wait a minute, why would they throw a party for him? He took one third of everything we had and he spent it wild living in another country. Why would you celebrate? The father learns that his older son is there but hasn't come in and goes out to meet him and he says, son, why don't you come back? Your brother's here. Come celebrate with us. Father, I've worked all these years for you. I've done everything you've always told me to do. And you haven't even given me a baby goat that I can have a party with my friends. Yet, this son of yours who spent all your money and terrible living comes back and you throw this kind of party? No. Son, everything I have is all yours. We had to celebrate. This brother of yours was lost and is now found. He's dead and he's now alive. Jesus tells that story in Luke chapter 15, and we know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But it's really a story about the love of the father. And it's a parable. So it's a story about the love of God, our father. That no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, God loves us. And God who loves us will welcome us back because that's His grace and His mercy and His love at work. And He calls us to Himself. As a Christ follower, this parable teaches us about life with God. There's some lessons we can learn from it, some truths we can glean. And if you haven't already opened your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, I'd invite you to do that. And we'll walk through that parable again and again and again. It says in verse 1 that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But in order to teach them about God's love, the religious people who are judging Jesus for hanging out with sinners, he tells them a story about the lost sheep. A man has 99 sheep in the open, but he loses one, and he goes, leaves the 99 to find the one, and then celebrates About the lost coin, a lady who has ten coins and she loses one and she can't see, but she sweeps the house so it'll rattle across the floor and she finds it and she calls her friends and celebrates. And then this story we just told, the parable of the lost son. 
There was a young man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The first thing we observe from this, it's in the form of a question. And that, how has God provided for me as his child? How has God provided for me as his child? If you're using the YouVersion Bible app down in the events tab, there's sermon notes there for us. Or on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that. And it's a question for each of us to consider as we sit here today. And frankly, it's a question to consider because we take for granted God's provision for us. We know that Scripture tells us to everyone who believed Him, to those who received Him, believed in His name, received Him, He gave the right to become children of God. That if you've trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, that you are God's child. And that you're an heir and a co-heir with Jesus. You're adopted as a son or a daughter of Jesus. And that adoption is forever. You can't get out of that. And so God provides for us then as his children because he loves us. But we tend to fix things or try to fix things on our own, don't we? We try to do life on our own. It's okay, God. I don't need you. I got it, God. Thanks for the advice the Bible gives me. Hey, it's really nice that you had the Holy Spirit tell me those things in my spirit, but God, I really don't want to do it your way. I kind of want to do it my way. The other thing may be, whether we say it or not, that we don't trust God. We know what the Bible says. We know the way we should answer things when we're at Sunday school or when you're talking to your believer in Jesus' friend. We sing the songs. We've maybe memorized the scriptures. But when it comes right down to it, we're like, I'm not sure I can trust God with that. I can trust Him with these things here. Yeah, God, you can manage all these things in my life. I'll trust you with these things, God, but that thing there? Mm -mm. God, I've got to control that one myself because I'm not sure you will do it the way I want it done. God calls us to himself. But we've got this battle within us of faith and trust and control and fear. And I'm reminded of Philippians 4, 7, and this one just a few weeks ago, spoke to me like never before, and I want to share it with you. Write down that reference, Philippians 4, 7, or look it up. It says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Transcends means goes beyond. All means all. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, your feelings, and your minds, your thoughts, in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It says to me that I can trust God to do for me as He's provided for me. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart, my feelings, how I feel about it, my mind, what I think about it, in Christ Jesus. So if I'm having trouble trusting God 
in accepting the things He's provided for me, what do I need to do? I need to remind myself of God's character and that peace that He has. I need to remind myself that I need to be in relationship with Jesus. And as I'm in relationship with God and His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, then that peace is going to guard my mind and my heart. And it will transcend everything. God has provided for me as His child. Let's move on in our scripture. Verses 13 through 16. You heard me as I told the story, but I'll read it not long after that. The younger son gathered together all he had and set off for a distant country, squandered his wealth and wild living after he'd spent everything. There was severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs ate. There's a scripture in Isaiah 53. It's a part of the suffering servant Psalms where it says of Jesus that by his stripes we're healed. But it's Isaiah 53, 6. And it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned his own way. This young man had a relationship with a father that provided everything that he needed for him, but he went his own way, did his own thing, took the father's resources and spent them as his own on wild living until there was a famine and he became to be in need. And all of us are that way, maybe not to the extreme of this prodigal son, but all of us take the things that God has given us. Every ability we have is from God. The characteristics, the attributes... The gifts, the abilities, the talents, the physical body, the mind, all that we have comes from God. And we take all that and we go astray and we use it for ourselves. Kind of like those birds on Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. That's how we treat God. It's mine, God. It's mine, God. It's mine, God. God, I got all these things as mine. You can take care of those things over there, but these things are mine. Which leads us to our second question. When has God allowed me to go my own way? Hmm. I'm guessing some of you didn't even have to think a split second before you could say, whoa, Aaron, let me tell you a story about how I really messed up. I knew that I should do it this way, but instead I did it that way, and guess what happened to me? Or maybe just now you're going, you know, Aaron, there is that time when I felt sure that God wanted me to go right, but I went left to choose righteous, but I chose unrighteous, and look at where it's got me. God, because of his love for us, allows us to have our free will, allows us to make our own decisions, allows us to go our own way. And even though he provides for us every ability that we have and everything that we have, the very bodies that we have, he allows us to go our own way. Which begs the question, why would he do that? Well, I think we'll see some of that as we go on. Our scripture goes on, verse 17. When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I'll go back to my father and say to him, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son starts reciting his thing. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Parents, do you ever stop loving your children? Those of you with younger children, you know, they try your patience in a certain way. (laughs) Those of you with older teenage children, they might try your patience in different ways as they get more freedom and more abilities. Those of you with adult children, that's a whole other story, isn't it? how they can hurt you, and you see them hurting themselves and hurting others, and you wish they would just listen to you or go back to the way you raised them. But do you ever stop loving them? Even though they've hurt you, and even though you may have to put up boundaries for your relationship and say, listen, we can't do this this way anymore, do you ever stop loving them? No. They are your child, and until the day you take your last breath, you're going to pray for your child that they would follow God and seek Him and be blessed by Him because they are. God, our Father, is that same way with us. The reason that is within us is it comes from Him. We never stop loving our child. God never stops loving you. Oh, you may be frustrated, angry, hurt. All those kind of things. You never stop loving your children. God never stops loving you. The Bible tells us that, that he loves us enough that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. God loves us. Which leads us to that third question. Why? Why does God love me no matter what? You know, sometimes there's questions I ask you during a sermon that I don't answer. We'll let you answer that one. What's God telling you about why He loves you so much? What do you know from Scripture about why He loves you so much? What have you been encouraged, enlivened in your spirit by the Holy Spirit of why God loves you so much? He does love you. And in the midst of all the terrible, hurtful things that happen in life, God loves you. Our scripture goes on that, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again, and he was lost in his fan. So they began to celebrate. Our next question asks, why does God celebrate my return? If I ran off and did all sorts of sinful stuff and I wasted the opportunities, the resources, the blessings that God gave me for my sinfulness and that of others, why would God celebrate my return? That one might have one word to answer it, and that word could be love, that word could be grace. Maybe you've got another answer. I'm going to turn over to Romans chapter 8. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. God does love you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? That God Himself will accept you and love you, no matter what. And verse 32 of Romans 8 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? That's how much God loves us. He'll graciously give us all things. He'll celebrate our return no matter what. God loves you and He wants you in relationship with Him. We're His. And even though He allows us to go, He loves us no matter what. And He celebrates our return. Some of you are here this morning and you're here, but in your mind, in your spirit, you're somewhere else. And you're in the midst of your sin and then you're in the midst of your own mind. And God is calling you today to come back. To come back. To come back to a right relationship with Him. Confess whatever you need to confess. Repent and turn from whatever you need to repent and turn from. Come back to a right relationship with Him because He loves you. Our scripture goes on and we run into the older brother. That older brother who comes and finds out, why is the party going on, he says. And the father comes out and confronts him. He pleaded with him, it says in verse 28 and verse 29, it says, but when he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes, you kill the fatty calf. My son, you're always with me in everything you have. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter you might know it as, says of love in verse 4 that love is patient. The scripture memory verse for the month reminds us that God is love. So you could say God is patient. Love is kind. God's kind. Love does not envy. God does not envy. Love is not arrogant. God is not arrogant. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God, unlike anybody here, keeps no records of wrongs. He has an amazing supernatural ability to remove our sins as far as the east is the west. Love's not proud. God's not proud. Love is not rude. God's not rude. Love's not self-seeking. God's not self-seeking. Love's not easily angered. God's not easily angered. Love does not delight in evil. God certainly doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the way God loves us. And as it says on the bottom of your outline, and we'll put on the screen there from Dr. Black, Henry Blackaby, Oh, we got to get that question. How does God defend me before others? Thank you. That even when other people don't think we should come back, God welcomes us back and He defends us before them. But let's get to the why, which is that final statement. 
God invites me to a continuous love relationship that is real and personal. God loves you knowing everything about you. And He wants you to be in relationship with Him continuously. And not just any relationship, an intimate love relationship that is real. It's not imaginary. And it's personal. Even though He's God the Father and you're just one of His children. It's as if you're His only child. And He loves you. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we consider being in relationship with you in this idea of doing life together with you we have to remember and be honest about the fact that sometimes we wander away from you but because of who you are and your great ability to love us and forgive us and accept us back and celebrate us no matter what we've done or where we've been or what's been done to us you call us back to yourself so father if there's anyone here that needs to confess and give anything over to you and they haven't done that already today we pray they do it now And Father, if there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, committing themselves to be His follower forever, would they do that now? Would we respond as you call us in Jesus' name? Amen.